Hi, Daniel here. This week's episode of The Ripple is sponsored by Deps, a private Maven repository service that I run. I created Deps because I wanted to use a Maven repository to host my company's private artifacts, but I didn't want to have to run a server. There's all the hassle of setting it up, keeping it patched, monitoring it, backing everything up. It was just too much work. Deps provides a cloud-hosted Maven repository, so you can get back to focusing on what really matters. If you enjoy this podcast, consider supporting me by signing up for a trial at deps.co. Hello, welcome to The Ripple, a podcast diving into closure programs and libraries. This week, I'm talking about editing closure code with Sean LeBron, the creator of Parenfer. Welcome to the show, Sean. Hey, how's it going? Good. So I wanted to get you on to talk. Uh, you've done a few closure things, but sort of the, probably the most well-known thing, at least recently, would be a tool, I'm not even quite sure what to call it, Parenfer. So do you want to describe sort of what Parenfer is, what you'd even call it? Is it a tool or is it something else it's weird because it's like different but what i actually want to do is maybe like ask you like how would you describe it because like i feel like i'm too deep into the tool and i find that like when i talk to people about it they have like really like nice simple explanations so like what does it kind of mean to you i would say it's an editing mode for lispy programs that's an alternative to manually balancing your parens or using sort of structured editing it's sort of this combination where you can edit your closure code and it will do what you mean yeah that's a pretty good description one that i've kind of been playing with is like the idea of like uh it's an inverted formatter whereas sometimes you would have code that's structured a certain way and then you would run a formatter on it and then it would just kind of like adjust the white space uh whereas this kind of does the inverse you just the white space, and then it changes the structure based on that. We sort of get a hint from this in the Python programming language, except it never really makes the structure explicit. It just sort of infers and then implicitly decides the structure from that. Whereas with parinfer, it's not actually hiding that inferred structure. It's showing you explicitly what it's doing by rearranging the parentheses based on your indentation. So it's sort of continuing the idea of these indentation-based lists that have been explored for 20 or 30 years, but it does it in a way that doesn't change the syntax, and it just changes the editor. So like you said, it's an editing mode, and it changes the editor so that it's sort of rearranging the closing parentheses that fall at the end of the line. So yeah, that's kind of my description of it. Nice. And do you want to explain, I guess, probably the alternative to Parenfer that you would use if you were doing sort of any amount of sort of closure programming, you're probably just manually balancing the parentheses doesn't really get you very far. So the common alternative is paredit or paredit style structured editing command. So did you want to explain kind of that and maybe some of that some of the issues that arise in that style of programming? Yeah. I mean honestly when I first started, I started with a group of closure script or my team was using closure script at the time and I really had no influence in terms of like what I was supposed to be doing in my editor. So we were just kind of balancing things ourselves. It didn't seem that bad at the time. And then a year later after doing all this stuff, like uh, somebody had mentioned paredit and I just started playing with it inside of Vim. So paredit is kind of this thing where it forces balance all the time and it kind of forces you to use hotkeys in order to structurally manipulate your code based on these different operations like wrapping, unwrapping, slurping, and barfing, and things like that. So what's really interesting about Paradit is that it's basically forces balance and 
you can never get into a state where you sort of, you know, battling a, a mismatched parentheses, a missing parentheses, like it's just always balanced. So they kind of take the extreme, I guess, design choice and saying that you can't exactly type whatever you want because it's trying to save you from like these sort of parentheses problems. I can contrast that to what Parnfer is doing, if that's yeah. a good direction to take. Yeah, so Parnfer just kind of doesn't have any hotkeys. It's just sort of, well, that's not entirely true. I would say the the hotkey that you would want to use are switching between these two different modes. So these modes are just basically like, do you want to treat the indentation as significant or do you want to treat the closing parentheses as significant? And then it will sort of hold on to one and let you change the other depending on what you want to do. In practice, people mainly just use the one called indent mode where it makes indentation significant. But to compare it back to Paret, it's basically just, it takes a different philosophy. I find that Paredit is a bit like, I guess like I, I won't rag on Paredit here. I, I think a design philosophy in sort of never letting the user dip into an invalid state, I find is like sort of like wearing a straight jacket. And <laughs> it's like always trying to stay on the sidewalk when it's just quicker to walk across the lawn. Um, <laughs> so like par and for, it was like a very specific goal that I found that the closest path between two valid states will often dip into an invalid one. So there's a lot of work that went into the design in order to make that possible. So it does things like, I don't want to get too detailed, but like uh, it kind of looks at where your cursor is and it's like, okay, you're clearly like not done editing this. So I'm just going to like wait until your cursor moves to another location before it's like processes what you just typed. But I guess one point of distinction is Paredit only runs after every single command. Parinfer is like constantly running every time you type anything. What it's trying to do is just sort of always do what you mean in order to make that happen. I guess I probably need a new question to kind of yeah. take a different direction there too. Sure. So where is Parinfer available? Where can I use it if I want to do Parinferring of my code? Yeah, so it, it exists in a number of different editors. It sort of exists at its core as a library that processes text and outputs new text. So that implementation itself exists as a core library for a bunch of different languages. It was ported to these languages in order to make it available to different editors. So on top of this core is kind of this, this shell of editor integration code that allows the core to be used on different editors. <laughs> so to answer your question, uh, it exists in Cursive, yep. Vim, uh, Emacs, and Atom and VS Code. And yeah, there's a bunch of them listed, but uh, those are the, definitely the main ones. Right. Nice. I, I've talked with Colin a little bit about, I know he's he's sort of been working on Power and Fur for you know, quite a while, doing different bits and integrating that with IntelliJ. So there's actually not just one Paranfur, or there was, I think, three iterations or three major versions of Paranfur. Is that correct? Yeah. So version two was interesting because that's when I decided not to force balance all the time. So anytime I would hit like a mismatched close paren, I would just erase it. And that created problems where it was actually causing unintended changes to the structure of your code. So this whole thing like began as an experiment. And as we saw more and more like what this thing like should and shouldn't be, started changing like little parts of it. So version two was how what was 
kind of a controversial decision to sort of allow imbalance and to sort of make par and for throw its hands up and say, mm-hmm. hey, I don't know what to do here. Let me just like highlight this and say, this is imbalanced. If I try to force balance it, then it's probably going to do something that you didn't want to happen. So that was like a huge shift in the design of it. And I think a lot of users implicitly felt that par and fur was just going to always balance your code and that you would never have to worry about this sort of state of imbalance. But I felt it was preferable to avoid breaking the user's code and just to let them know this is, I don't know what to do with this, so I'm not going to try and and potentially break your code. I think version three was when I introduced smart mode. Yeah. So one of the main complaints was that users didn't really know when to switch between these two different modes. And I guess I'll explain two different modes um, real quick. Yeah. So the first one being indent mode, where it treats indentation as significant. The second one being uh, parentheses mode, where it sort of constrains the indentation so that you can hit backspace and it'll just sort of not let you backspace past like a, a tab stop. So the problem is that like if you're, let's say, for example, renaming a function and that function name is longer than it was previously, and it will actually push an open print uh, a lot more to the right. Yep. And it will cause the code that was originally inside that open print to be sort of <laughs> kicked out of it, right? Yep. So the idea is like, you kind of have to reindent your code while that's happening. But I guess the pure solution to that problem, if we were to just stay within the constraints of the system, is to just say, go into paren mode to avoid that problem if you're making those kinds of edits. But the problem is, and the temptation, I'll say more accurately, is like, can we just get parn for detect which mode it should be in based on the type of change that you're making? And then that's when all of, that's when like the whole smart mode design process of V3 happened. And that's like a very difficult problem. I guess I'll call out Ryan Delatore, who just kind of created a, a really interesting lead on this after like a lot of us kind of failed to really create something that was tractable. And that was just running paren mode on, geez, I can't even remember it now. I think it's uh, paren mode uh, before the change and indent mode afterwards. Let me think about that. No, it's it's indent mode before and then paren mode after. So it was interesting because that lead allowed us to think in terms of the original design and to think about smart mode being a combination of the primitives of the original mode, which helped me think about the problem a lot more. So parn for originally just took the text and the cursor position, ignoring everything else. But now what it does is it takes uh, the exact change information. So... And in an ideal environment where all the changes are perfectly capturable, you know, synchronously, then it can deduce the change and basically do what you really meant. So that's that was kind of the triumph of smart mode in this ideal environment. But the problem started coming whenever it was like, well, the editors actually don't expect this sort of ideal environment and it will not give you the exact changes that you need in order to prevent breaking users' codes. Uh. So, yeah. So just going back to V2, there were two interesting things there. One was, I think it was V2 where it decided or it, it prevented you from turning par and fur mode on and it sort of breaking your code because it was indented in a way that par and fur didn't expect, which was something that I think happened happened quite a bit in V1. At least I had that happen to me sometimes. Have I got that timeline right? 
Mm. Was this uh, related to opening a file that wasn't properly indented? Yes, yes, okay. that's right. Yeah. I think there's a difference between like what was in the original design and how it was implemented in different editors. And I think there was, right. there, was okay. th there were some problems with like certain editor integrations sort of being compliant to the original design because like from the get-go, that was like something that I really didn't want to happen for people to open existing files and to sort of, to have Parn for break its code that way. I think that's what you're talking about. But yeah. the idea is like if you were to open a file, it has to run paren mode first so that if you were to start running indent mode on it, then it wouldn't cause any structural changes because it already corrected the indentation upon opening the file. Gotcha. Does that make sense? I see. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. And the other part was you talked about how you allowed unbalanced parentheses, but the way that you did that sort of looking at the, the implementation was it showed really nicely where the balancing point is. And often in different editors I've used, it can tell you that your parentheses are unbalanced, but it just kind of squiggles all over all of them and says like, there's a problem here. And it kind of, everything sort of starts to say, you know, you've got lots of problems here, but it's not really, doesn't always help you find exactly where like what's basically the most logical place to add this parentheses back in, which was something. So that was something I really liked when I saw Paramper did that. Yeah, that's um, that was, I, I think it's like, it's because it's not a real full uh, like lisp reader. All it does is just cares about like the position of the parentheses. Mm. Uh, so the moment that it kind of detects one that doesn't match with an opening one, then it'll just like try to highlight the original opening one that it was supposed to match and then the closing one that sort of kicked off the air. So at that point I just give up and then like don't parse anything else. So it's only going to really show you one error at a time. Nice. All right. That works pretty well, I think. So another thing that's quite interesting about Paranfur and not something you tend to see so much with developer tools is that Paranfur had sort of a mathematical foundation to it. It wasn't just sort of people saying, I think it should work this way and sort of building it up in an ad hoc manner you've got sort of a mathematical foundation to the editing so do you want to talk a little about that and I guess maybe your background that led you to even think of doing it that way it certainly wasn't like sort of the obvious thing that I would have expected for a tool like this yeah well it was a reason to use my math degree <laughs> which is like yeah you don't get to use that very often but honestly, like this whole thing started as like a uh, sort of realizing, man, this is going to go back a bit further. I was writing this article about how much I hated like JSX and I was <laughs> like the templating language of putting HTML into JavaScript, which I don't hate anymore, by the way. I think it's it's fine. But the idea is like you couldn't mix if conditions and like loops inside of it and it felt like a step back from the existing templating languages like uh, Haml and things like that. Mm -hmm. So like often what I try to do is I try to understand the shape of something in order to like really understand sort of its behavior. So when I was looking at why like my frustration with JSX, trying to compare it with Hiccup, trying to compare it with existing templating languages with uh, actual logic syntax baked into it, I took simple examples and I wrote those examples in all these different templating languages. And I don't know, it's like this kind of a light bulb went off and I kind of saw that 
the hiccups and the original templating languages like like Jade and Hamel, like they just looked exactly the same. And like the only thing that was different was like the parentheses at the end. So I, I just started thinking about it. I actually went to a repo. If if you go to the GitHub repo called Indent CLJ, there's only a single issue in there. And it was one of my questions, like, what if we just remove all of those closing parentheses at the end of a, of the line? Like originally what people think to do when they want to take indentation and make that significant is they just like erase all the parens. But if we keep all the open parentheses and just erase the ones at the end, it was a bad idea, but it was like the hint of something that was sort of coming. And uh, Anton Hildebrand was like, yeah, let's keep pursuing like crazy ideas like this. So I just kept thinking about it. And really like I was, I just felt like there was some kind of idea there and I, I couldn't figure out what it was until I was sort of like sketching and sort of realize this mathematical property, which is something called an invariant. So an invariant is something that it remains true, no matter like how the system changes, I guess. You can say that it's like true regardless of like all these different things. In the context of Lisp formatting, I sort of discovered that the indentation and the, and the position of the closing parentheses are conveying the same exact information and in that they're almost like isomorphic concepts but I would say that they're sort of like redundant representations of the same thing and that you can sort of create an invariant from that and say that, well, I guess I can't exactly talk about a mathematical formula because it gets kind of like speaks for itself. But if you look at the mathematical properties that I described and the invariant, it created this foundation for me to sort of explore this thing and say, well, I mean, out of that invariant came two things. It was like the two modes. And so that, that sprouted directly from, from what this invariant was trying to communicate with allowing the user to change one thing and Parn for helping out with the other and vice versa. So I don't know, that's kind of a roundabout explanation of that. No, that's, that's great. So you studied mathematics at university then? Yeah. I had a lot of the same classes they shared with computer science. So it was just like a, you know, a few more courses to sort of get the the major. Nice. And so kind of Parenfer seems to have spread pretty widely, certainly to all of the major editors. What's next for Parenfer or where is it at now? Right now, it's we're kind of at a spot where the ideal solution for sort of, I guess, like fixing Parenfer or making it the best that it can be is like currently what smart mode is. So my original plan was to just get that done and to get it integrated into like every editor that it could support. I guess the problem was that it kind of hit this roadblock because I had designed smart mode to work on CodeMirror and like CodeMirror, its API is exceptionally good. Like it's just, it's informing you of all these different things that are going on. And I kind of made the mistake of thinking that all the other editors would sort of be this way. So I guess the problem is like smart mode is kind of asking too much from the editor at this point. So because like there's nothing really like Parnfer that is sort of demanding this much from the editor. So I guess the only way forward, I guess, to make smart mode work in a way that doesn't like break your code through these like occasional accidents is to just start opening up pull requests and sort of outlining the design of what something like this needs, like what the ideal environment really is, and then start like talking to the different editor API implementers and then see if it works that way. I think once that's done, then I can just like call this project done. 
but I think it's in, in its current form in dent mode and friend mode. It works pretty well if you understand how to use it to make the next step. Well, if you see how it works in cursive, I think that's the most people right now are using smart mode in mm-hmm. cursive. Yep. I think Colin would say that it's working pretty well for them there. It's just like the occasional the occasional accent that just like really bothers me, but maybe it uh, like on a practical level, it's just not that big of a deal for them. So Yeah. So I guess one thing that I like about Parinfer is that like there's tons and tons of thought and design underneath it. But from the API level, there's kind of almost nothing to it. Like it's just, you know, your space bar, toggle your mode. That's kind of about it, I think. Like everything else sort of just flows from that, which means like you could, you know, get it to a point where it is done and, you know, it's just, that's it, which, you know, which really, I like things that can sort of have a completion point where they're just uh, complete and and finished um, in themselves. Yeah, I really like that too. It's just like, it's just really simple thing, especially simple to use. Yeah, I can't wait for this to be done, honestly. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, it's just smart mode became a lot more complicated because it's kind of playing to like trying to detect this very fuzzy area of like what the user's trying to do. And that was like such a tempting like drag into chase, right? It was just like really difficult to get that right, especially when I thought I got it right with the design and of like assuming this ideal environment. And seeing even like the fuzzier parts of like how the editor is not exactly like clear about the changes that are being made. Yeah, that's when things kind of got hairy. But uh, being done with the project is like really nice. And I kind of like how simple the stuff is kept. Great. Yeah. Um, so you had a great talk um, at, was it Closure West last year or Closure Conge? Um, I forget which. Yeah, it was a Conge of two years ago. Yeah. Oh, two years ago. Right. And uh, that was talking about par and fur, but also before that, you gave a really good overview of, you know, what's come before par edit and par and fur, which I really enjoyed sort of seeing the the context that we've come from because Lisp has such a, you know, 50 plus year history of people, you know, doing stuff, structured editing that, you know, we, we've got a, a very rich history to draw from. So that was neat. How did you kind of find all of these different examples to even talk about. Yeah. So I started with par edit. I was looking, I was like tracing the repository. And I think in one of the readmes, I found uh, a reference to something called uh, interlisp. I think S edit. Yeah. And it's basically just rehashing these ideas from interlisp S edit. And I was like super frustrated because I couldn't find any reference to this thing, like papers and stuff. So like the best way to kind of find this information is just ask people. So I think I, if you, I created some Reddit thread or whatever, just sort of like asking what this thing was. And I just got a barrage of just like these references and papers and like old manuals. <laughs> so it was awesome. Yeah. Like people are just the best like search engine, you know, you can just like ask them. So I started tracing back even like further from there. I think I went to deepdive.com, like dive with a Y was just never heard of this site yeah i didn't find it like directly I, it was just through like google searches of like uh list papers and things like that mm-hmm. and i just skimmed them i wouldn't say like i got too deep into like too many of them but i, I was just like looking for structural editors uh lisp things i don't even remember what i was searching for but yeah i just kind of kept my breadcrumbs and was kind of crawling the space and looking for 
different signs of like how people were tolerating parentheses like during this golden age of Lisp. I just kind of felt like there was some good ideas that might have been forgotten, especially with like this reference to this weird looking like interlisp editor. Like I found old videos of I think it was D edit, which was like a precursor to that. Even in older papers where they're talking about like these sort of dynamic editors, like uh that would just kind of collapse the code if it was further away from your cursor, like a whole bunch of like interesting things. <laughs> so the process of of kind of like learning what people did was just you know, pouring through these papers and, and seeing what was there. So, yeah. Great. And so that's kind of brings us to the next topic. So Parent Fair has been all about how you edit your code, but there was another project that you referenced in your talk and did some thinking about as well, which was how you view your Lisp code. And that was called Locus. So do you want to talk about Locus, you know, what the thinking is there? Yeah, so I kind of had a sense that Parnfer was really only attempting to solve half the problem. I mean, I, I still kind of maintain to this day that Lisp is kind of an ugly thing to look at. I think it's it's something that everybody who likes it today had an immediate sense of when they first saw it. And I guess the general answer is that it's it's just something you get used to. It's something you stop seeing. So I felt like it wasn't really enough to sort of tell people that. Because they people kind of have these different experiences, and like there's there's really like different emotional connections that get us through the process of getting used to the parentheses. Like to me, it was just because I was like really loving some of the stuff that Chris Granger was doing early on in ClojureScript. So like I already had that emotional connection to it, and like the parentheses were more of like this mysterious, like really interesting, like thing. So before then, I just kind of saw it as like this this unnecessarily like deeply nested math equation. Like I didn't want to write my code in that. So like to me, Parnfer was really only half the problem. It was kind of performing two different actions there. It was like both explaining to you how people really see it as well as like automating the process of formatting it. So it's like, it's not just trying to, it's not just like an automated explanation of it. It's, well, I'll just say it is kind of, a way to automate the explanation of like how it works, but still like on its surface, it just felt like there could be something better done to visually convey like what it was. And I think everybody kind of knows this, that the structure really isn't the parentheses. It's sort of just like a visual artifact of like the text medium that we have. And there's like no other way to explain the structure because we're kind of stuck in this, in this representation. So, and since if we're like trying to stay within that representation, Again, my first idea was to just hide the closed parentheses. That's even more jarring. But I was wondering if you could just kind of continue playing with it. I think I think a lot of people, what they try to do is they try to find like alternate representations. And I'll call out like Antonin Hildebrand's plastic editor. This is probably the coolest thing that I've seen in this space related to closure anyway. It's it was like this really interesting like Atom plugin that tried to make it prettier by like softly outlining shadows and like making the parentheses like a little bit dimmer. But I think I'm missing a lot of details. If you just like look at the screenshot, you can tell there's a lot of like design work that went into that. So Locus was kind of trying to follow in that direction by using these things called indent guides. So you would just drop an indent guide from an open parentheses. Maybe I can drop a link to this because that would make more sense. But the idea is like I was showing people this. If an indent guide is there to 
that is something that people is, are, are already used to, if we can give it more meaning by saying that actually anything inside of this indent guide, and I guess I, I want to be clear about what an indent guide is. It's just a vertical line below uh, an open parentheses to sort of convey a level of indentation. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. So if we were actually to take this visual artifact and to actually make it more significant and say actually anything that is to the right of this indentation guide, this line, and say that this is structural. Like, And if you were to put the text to the left of it, then the indent guide is sort of split. So it like kind of makes this thing like a, a physical part of your code. And then by virtue of that, it would obviate the need for the closing parentheses at the end of the line. So what ended up happening is it just it's just a return to the original idea of getting rid of the closing parentheses at the end of a line and just replacing it with these vertical lines that indicate your level of indentation. That sounded good in theory, and to me it was like, oh, I, that's like a solved problem now. The more I showed it to people, the more it was just it became this jarring thing. It just never really landed, and I wasn't really sure where to take that because I found a lot of promise in it because we were staying within the text representation and sort of piggybacking off of a visual primitive like the the indentation guide. So those two components together, to me, seem like a practical solution to this problem without changing too much in what users are expecting. But because it didn't land in some of the user tests that I did just by showing people, it just stopped becoming a compelling like, lead, I guess. Sure. So I, I'll put a link to this in the in the show notes. But on this thread, you've got some different sort of prototypes of the idea. And on the last one, like as people are listening to it, they might sort of have a sort of immediate reaction that, you know, you can't take away my parentheses. Right. I think we kind of have this. I've just used Clojure for so long now that I don't see it as a problem. And I'm not saying that it's not a problem. It's just kind of almost like a, a blindness to them now. And but what was really interesting was as I was looking at these different prototypes, the very last one on there, I looked at it and I could read the code and it was all sort of looked very natural closure code, except that when I looked closer at it, I realized that it had hardly any parentheses. It had dropped sort of all of the opening parentheses and closing parentheses, and it just had the ones that were needed for like your let bindings or a map, sort of, you know, the map opening and closing braces and everything else was defined just by its indentation and it read so naturally that I didn't even notice that these parentheses at the start and the finish were gone they all just you know that they had disappeared but it was so natural feeling that it didn't even notice it so I'd recommend people take a look at these ideas because sometimes closure programmers or any kind of programmers can become perhaps a little bit dogmatic about the nature of programming and what's essential and what's not and so this kind of opened my eyes to to realize well actually is are the parentheses essential like i know they're great you know there's, there's good plenty of good things about them but in terms of an editing environment are they essential well maybe not certainly an interesting idea there um, i really liked looking at those different prototypes awesome well that's uh that's pretty positive feedback on some of the stuff that hasn't really landed with the people i've showed it with so okay uh, cool <laughs> yeah and another thing that you mentioned was this quote the content of 
communication is the response you receive. You say, if we tell people that Lisp has no syntax, but the responses all we see are parents, then the response proves that we're not communicating correctly. And I really like that because I think, again, this sort of comes back to the maybe sometimes sort of perhaps a little bit dogmatic nature of, of Clojure programmers that we think it's so incredibly amazing. And when we try and evangelize it to other people, you know, Lisp has no syntax and people say, they see syntax or, you know, all of these things are great and people say differently. And I think often there's perhaps a failure to communicate or connect with people where they're coming from. Like they, they're saying one thing, we're saying something else. And yeah, what I really appreciated about this was it was like a, an attempt to bridge that gap to say, if people keep saying this, there's probably something here. Like they may, you know, we may disagree on the solutions. The solutions might not be to get rid of all the parentheses or it might be to do something different, but at least I really appreciated the idea that maybe if people keep saying something that we should try and think about why they're saying it and how we can address it. That seems like a really smart thing to to do if we want to increase the adoption of Clojure or Lisp in general. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate you bringing that up. That's definitely the core of like what uh, one of the values that I was, uh, that I used to sort of like build this thing, but I kind of want to zoom out and just kind of say that there's really like two ways that I see it. When you see something like that, and it's almost like you can empower somebody to sort of get past it by just sort of, I mean, you can think of it as like shaming them into saying, or, or like blaming <laughs> the user, right? Like, like you can fix yourself. It's almost encouraging at the same time as like blaming them. And that's, that's just like a cultural value thing. And I think that's valid in, in some ways, but I think values have a lot of like inconsistency with other types of values. And the other value I'm talking about is like, how do you help the most people, I guess? And I guess I kind of saw it as like, you can just sort of subvert the problem altogether if you just kind of create something that sort of makes it go away completely. I guess the problem with it is, Yes, you can encourage somebody to sort of power through it, but I kind of referenced this earlier. I think I think people already have an emotional connection to the language and that's kind of invisible to them. And they're, they're kind of like looking back and saying, well, I was able to power through it. Well, it's like, man, like I had friends who I was like very impressed by kind of the community of people that I was around when I was like trying to push past this problem of learning this lisp, which took me like years to finally like put my head down and, and to get through. But I mean, I didn't really attribute that to my own sort of ambition and persistence. It was just a product of like all of these things that was just like working out. And like, to me, that's like, that's the value that I wanted to focus on, even though I, I think the different values there are valid. So one thing which often comes up in these discussions of meeting people where they are is this often an assertion and I'm not sure it's always proven is like this idea that we lose something or we, you know, if we're dumbing it down for beginners or, you know, often sort of this kind of thing is communicated where if we make this more accessible for people, we also lose something for the experts. And I think sometimes that's, that's true, but often I think that's also, I don't want to say an excuse, but certainly it's sort of a, a dead end of, thinking like saying well we can't dumb it down because you know we can't make this more accessible because when we lose something for experts and you know the expert experience is the most important thing which I think 
sometimes we can find things which are great for both beginners and experts or that you know making things more accessible for beginners can also you know benefit the expert experience as well without removing anything um, and so that I, I put par and fur in that category of you know I don't think it's not like something where this is like this is the training wheels and then eventually you know you get your emacs and you turn on power edit mode and you're you're like now you're a real closure programmer no like I think power and fur you know it's it's different but I like that it's you know it's just as powerful as power edit so yeah I I, I appreciate sort of taking a good hard look at these problems and seeing how we can attack them and find solutions that make closure more accessible to everybody. Yeah. The topic of dumbing it down, I think it's, that's just another like perspective, kind of the same thing. I think it's, well, let me just talk about how, like I've been gathering feedback on this for maybe three years now here and there. And so I've heard previously that it's kind of like hurtful to the beginner because it's sort of not letting the user think in terms of like the structure, but instead it's just like line-based. And it seems that some people think that it's actually hurting the user. I'm not ruling that out. I've seen some people like go back from par edit and then use par infer that way and, and tend to prefer that way. I've also seen people go from par infer to par edit as a way to say like, Hey, I finally got over this list pump. Like that helps me to just to start using it to begin with. And I wouldn't have used it if I had to use par edit, but now that par and first sort of made me comfortable, I kind of want to play with the more advanced stuff. So that was kind of a ladder in that direction that they wanted to take. I myself, and I had, I don't know, after I made par and it took me about six months to pry myself away from par edit. Cause it was just like, it's so ingrained in my into my muscle memory, but like after I started using par infer finally, like it felt fine. I don't even remember any of the par edit commands anymore, but like I'm biased. So yeah, I think it's just another tool in the landscape. I felt like I explored that space pretty well, and that was like whatever you think about it, it's just like another tool you can choose from, you know. Great. So something that I've noticed, sort of following your work, is that you've done a lot of work in sort of prototyping and visual design and sort of communicating ideas uh, visually in your talk, the closure talk about the history of list editors and in your design documents. There's, there's lots of visual elements to it. It's not just text, which I think, you know, is a really interesting way to communicate these ideas. It's, you know, a very visual tool. Um, so kind of how did you do those? What was sort of your background or why did you think to work that way? I think it started as a frustration when I started working on projects and I was like really excited by these ideas and I was unable to really get the amount of feedback that I wanted on these things. So I started like trying to figure out how to like best respect the user's time and to just completely try to distill what I was trying to do. And it caused me to really understand internally like what it is that's valuable about what I'm trying to show people. And I just started developing that more. And when I think about Parnfer, it's, it is kind of presented with this like very like fancy animated, like research paper type page. But I, I kind of knew it had to be that way because this kind of felt like a, like a solved problem already. And in order to just like push past this pretty old prejudice that this thing is like fully explored, 
like just just use parentheses and use like these original tools that it really had to like present these ideas in a very like clear and lucid way so it was basically just based on what i what i had seen in the the original paradit gifs i don't know if you've seen that where it, it was like this blog article that was written it's in the acknowledgments section of my website but it's it was just like such a nice way to explain the paradit operations and it showed like the the key commands and stuff so I just, um, I wanted to do something like that, but make it actually interactive so that it was kind of like a proof of concept and it was something that could prove to the user that it was actually working based on what they're able to type. So kind of combining the animation with the interactive component was something I wanted to do. And I just pulled in CodeMirror. I just started reading through the code and like figure out how to sort of make the editor do this. And that like at the very beginning, it was, it was the environment that I wanted to use in order to uh, prototype the idea, but I knew that it was going to be in handy. It was going to come in handy to even present the idea and to get people to really understand what it was doing. Great. Yeah, I definitely feel, got that sense uh, looking at par and fur and looking at sort of the way you talk about and communicate stuff, uh, sort of the light table, uh, Brett Victor, sort of communicating in different mediums, not just communicating via text. Um, got that feeling and impression and i really liked it um, so compliments for that yeah that talk like changed everything <laughs> <The> 2012 <laughs> like inventing on principle it's so crazy like you see it everywhere yeah it's like yeah. crazy yeah it's, actually when I, I think i'm not sure if i mentioned this before but one interesting thing was i you know light table was was heavily influenced by by that talk um, and when it came out light table was you know completely revolutionary and what I found really interesting was that I went back and looked at it last year and Lighttable was still great, but we've been marinating in those ideas for so long now that it no longer had that sort of revolutionary feel because so many other environments now have those same ideas as well. Like it's it's spread so widely that it's no longer, like it's kind of just in the water, a lot of those ideas, which is awesome. So we've still got quite a lot to talk about. Um, the other interesting thing I want to talk about with you is a proposal that I made about building a closure code formatter. So we've kind of hit time for this episode, but we'll be back uh, in the next episode uh, with a discussion more on formatting closure code. So thanks very much for coming on and everyone will hear from you in a week. Cool. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Great.